The Confluence Story Gathering Podcast is a production of Confluence, a community-supported nonprofit with a mission to connect people to the history, living cultures, and ecology of the Columbia River Basin through Indigenous voices. Find out more at confluenceproject.org. One of the things I'm always marveled at is the fact that some people don't necessarily know their background. They don't know their history. It's hard for them to identify with a place. Welcome to the Confluence Story Gathering Podcast, Indigenous Voices of the Columbia River. I'm Colin Fogarty, Executive Director of Confluence. Here's a question. What does it mean to be an American? Many of us who were born in this country just take it for granted. Others work long and hard for the right to take the oath and become a citizen. For people whose ancestors who have lived here since time immemorial, long before Europeans set foot on this soil, being called American is a relatively recent part of history. Today on the Story Gathering Podcast, three indigenous voices will explore what being called American means to them. Our speakers were recorded during a Confluence conversation in May of 2020. They are Chuck Sams of the Confederated Tribes of the Umatilla Indian Reservation, Elizabeth Woody of the Confederated Tribes of Warm Springs, and Patricia Whitefoot of the Yakima Nation. Our first question to our panelists was about the concept of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Those ideas are considered central to the American experience, but how do First Peoples relate to those values? First, we'll hear from Chuck Sams, followed by Elizabeth Woody and Patricia Whitefoot. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is more communal than individualistic, at least in Indian country. And at least as I've seen it and have been fortunate enough to work across Indian country, um, we want to do it with one heart and one mind um, so that we're not harming each other and we're not harming those resources that we need to live upon. And our pursuit of happiness uh, has to be balanced with what our, our obligations are. And so much of what we're seeing right now in America, um, people with guns going into their capital, uh, their state capitals, because they're angry about what's happening here. You know, that's their right, but they're not taking up their responsibilities. And uh, with rights come responsibilities. And so if you want to go and pursue uh, your those pursuits of life, liberty, and happiness, you also have to be responsible for how you go about doing so in my opinion. I think the biggest struggle has been that whole little keyword happiness, uh, pursuit of happiness. And I think that also has to do with the concept of being a human being. And you, human beings, um, African-American slaves weren't considered human beings. American Indians weren't considered human beings. Chinese Americans weren't considered human beings. And people from South America, all these different people who've been pretty much um, enslaved or coerced into working to build this country did not have the same rights to the pursuit of happiness that the American citizenship had at that time or had assumed by their citizenship. So pursuit of happiness is a very complex concept because women do not have equal rights. Are they entitled to happiness? What does their happiness mean? Um, are uh, people who come from a lower class, who have been raised in a community that had not uh, had no education options, are they? What, what does their happiness happiness comprises? So there's a really breadth of things to, to examine and to try to um, 
pull apart and understand. In terms of life, liberty, and happiness, I agree that um, you know on these founding documents, American Indians weren't even considered. And so again, I have to be skeptical about those those documents that are in place. What does that really mean when when I wasn't considered or when our tribal people weren't considered to be a part of those documents? However, in some of the other you know some of these documents, so it does mention you know that uh, treaties are the supreme law of the land. And so when it comes to American Indians, the treaties are important to us. And so when we think about life, liberty, and happiness. You know, I have to also take a look at that context as well. What are we really saying? Um, and and the other issue that I want to relate to regarding this topic has to do with the missing and murdered Indigenous women, uh, which is a major issue in the country today, particularly in Indian country. When we have to go to, um, you know, the state legislature and acknowledge the fact that Native women aren't even considered human that were considered, you know, subhuman. And so this is an issue for me, uh, particularly as this impacts our communities and our families. And so if, if we're portrayed or we're stereotyped in certain ways and we continue to be stereotyped in very negative ways, so it makes me wonder, you know, what do these documents really mean to us? And so we really have to take a, you know, conscientious effort and take a look at these um, and look at the history of our tribes and how you know, the tribes uh, land bases were taken away, even though they might've been taken away by the, you know, the federal government or whoever, the homesteaders. Um, we, we do know that the land is still a part of who we are in, in our original territories. So we still acknowledge that uh, despite these documents that are in place. And so it's a matter of interpretation and how it's viewed. Thank you. Next, we asked our panelists about something that's become more common at the start of public meetings. Those are land acknowledgments. Elizabeth Woody answered first, followed by Patricia Whitefoot and Chuck Sams. I'm working with uh, the city of Portland right now, the um, Institute for Tribal Liaison, I think an office of tribal liaison. But they are actually uh, getting this embedded across all of their governmental platforms. That, for example, the uh, when the council is opened, they will give acknowledgement to the original peoples of the land. And then it's not just a gratuitous, like I'm gonna share this list of, pe- of tribes, that they're gonna have and make sure that every employee in, in their governmental arm has the equivalent education of a child who has to have now the SB 13 curriculum, American Indian history. And I think that's pretty amazing, but I've been asked to do a lot of different um, land acknowledgements and the, the last one I did, I actually put a query out to different people from different tribes and got a very flurried amount of discussion in front of me and, and explosions and people being very fierce and came down to what I had at that time to me was what I could bravely say when I went out in front of a bunch of people. And, but, but, not also, but also be respectful to all of these people who are representatives of the tribes in the Willamette Valley and the Portland area. So it's very complicated and it has to be um, more than just a, I give recognition to the original peoples. You really need to know the history of that land base and the peoples who were there. I just simply want to say it's about time. Based on what Lisbeth was saying, uh, I've also have done a number of land acknowledgements, but also have um, 
contributed to that, um, you know, that practice that's going on now here in, not only here in Washington, but around the Northwest. Uh, I see the leaders around the Northwest who have really stepped up to help do that. Um, just one, one organization I want to name is the Affiliated Tribes of Northwest Indians. It's something that we practice when we travel around the Northwest when we conduct our conferences, we always acknowledge that. And so it's something that we as Indigenous people have done. And as a part of our protocol here, here around the Northwest, and it's part, I think it's just naturally a part of you know, Indian country's protocol. And so the reason that I say it's about time, uh, I just think that America is finding up to that because when we look at the history books and the textbooks, or just look at a map of your own state, you'll see a number of terms, words that are used that are, are come from the tribes in, in the Northwest here, uh, the names of the rivers, I mean, the, the name of Seattle, you know, Seattle. All of these uh, contributions that tribal people have made uh, to the livelihood and vitality of us here in this region is vital. And, I, and so that's the reason that I say it's about time. Yeah, I, I, I think it's about time also, I agree with Tricia. Um, it's an opportunity for tribes though to to work with the local communities and provide an educational moment that they don't under, fully understand. We talked a lot earlier about this responsibility we have to the landscape. And it's really not just acknowledging us as a people, but more importantly, acknowledging the land itself and the responsibilities we have in um, protecting those lands and cultivating them in a way that uh, they're here for future generations. And finally, our Confluence Conversation panelists explored the idea of whether it's possible to help people to become more American. And if so, what does that mean? We'll hear first from Elizabeth Woody, followed by Patricia Whitefoot. I think for me... My first real understanding of connection came from the land. My grandparents took me to all these different places and told told me family stories about when their mother would bake bread and pick, pack up a picnic and they would go up to the mouth of the Metolius River and tell a story about how the river came from underground under Black Butte and talked about how the three rivers joined. Um, and then you go further and it goes into the Deschutes River, which goes right on the side of the Warm Springs Reservation and goes into the Columbia River. And he would take us, my grandparents would take us to all these different locations, take us up to our land up by the mountains and take us up to our lands and some natural butte and all of these things that was, well, not things, but what we were instructed was that our inheritance comes from there. My grandmother and grandfather both were orphans. And so a lot of the land they inherited were really beautiful pieces of land, but it was also their connection to their family and their ancestors. And I also know that my grandfather told me one time when I'd be, well, I used to do a lot of walking out on the land and my uncle Louie taught me how to be out there and, and not get lost, look between two points and use these landmarks as kind of like a compass and whatnot. And I'd go out with the dogs and the cats and be gone all day until five o'clock and make it back just in time to greet my grandpa uh, who would come back from work at that time. But he did um, tell me that if I ever got lost, that I should find a moving body of water because everything, there's always some place that has water around here anyway. And you follow that water down and eventually you'll get to where people are and you'll find your way home. 
And that's the way I've always looked at it is that this land is not just place. I mean, getting lost on this land would be very, very difficult, I think, for me. And because I've seen a lot of it, I've walked across it. But that also tells me I know more about it as a home. And one of the um, things that children say when I go out and teach them, we've taken them up to Opal Creek, even the Indian kids from Chamala, is they come alive on the land. I took my cousins when they were little kids and out on the land and they start climbing and they start talking and they start being interested. They would be interested in everything. And of course, I'd have to walk back carrying one in my arms and one on top of my shoulders. But it was really important for them to be out there. And I know that we have fear of things we don't know. And when people, I come across all across the country where I've lectured and where I've read poetry, they've all said to me, that they were disconnected, that they didn't feel the same kind of hominess that, that I did on the land. And I've read stories about people who had their kids say they don't even want to get off the they don't even want to get off the sidewalk into the grass because it's dirty. So for me to become more American is to take them out, if I can, in a safe scenario, in a way that is instructive, to show them things, to have them look at things and pick up rocks. Marie Laws, who's this amazing judge up at Sitka, Alaska, and who's Clinkett, took me out on the beach and we lifted up rocks and looked at these little crabs and they lifted up their little pinchers and they were like telling us to back off. And she said, aren't they brave? I said, yes, I love them. I said, what happens to them when we walk on the rocks? And she looked at me and she says, well, they get squished down further, but they're crabs. They can survive. <laughs> but I think that's, that's the way you learn about places. And I began to love Sitka, because Marie showed me what she loved there. That's how I think you become more American. So as a young child that, you know, I grasp on to wanting to know more. And so today that's what I've done. And I've been able to also travel internationally. And I also teach at the college level as well. And when I teach at the college level, I, I think that, uh, as an indigenous person from this homeland that I have a better grasp of who I am in terms of place and the locations where my family extends to and also where our experiences extend to, particularly from our, our rituals and ceremonies because we don't just necessarily speak to that which is in front of us, but it's also on a more global perspective, international perspective. And by having that global perspective, uh, it, it uh, fostered me to want to know more. And so I lo love just learning more about other people's history. And so when I'm teaching classes, um, uh, particularly with um, not just with native students, but other uh, students that might be in the classroom or in a workshop, one of the things I'm always marveled at is the fact that some people don't necessarily know their background. They don't know their history. It's hard for them to identify with a place. You know, the place might be here. They might have been um, immigrants to the country. Well, everyone was immigrants to this country except the indigenous peoples that are here, but everyone traveled to this country here in the United States. And so they, People do have roots, but it's a matter of finding out what the, that roots entails. Who's, what's your background? What's your history? What's your language? 
who are you is a question that I'm asking. And unfortunately, what happens, some people think that I'm personally talking to them and that they want to begin to learn more about who they are. They are themselves in terms of their relationships to their ancestral homeland. And so I think that in terms of America, I think that's what's important is people being able to share who they really are and knowing what their background is and sharing that with other people because all people have various languages. English wasn't the first language here. All the people that you know migrated here came from other countries with languages, deep histories, deep culture, all of that in order to survive and to be here today. So it's a matter of looking back and seeing who we are and how we are moving forward collectively. That was Patricia Whitefoot of the Yakima Nation, and we also heard from Elizabeth Woody of the Confederated Tribes of Warm Springs and Chuck Sams of the Confederated Tribes of the Umatilla Indian Reservation. To find out more about Confluence and the five completed sites along the Columbia River system, make sure to check out our website, confluenceproject.org. Now, remember, Confluence is a community-supported nonprofit, and we can only do this work because of the generous support from the friends of Confluence. That's you. Join us today at confluenceproject.org. Thanks for listening to the Confluence Story Gathering podcast. For more episodes, visit our website or wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>